set of words that continued to be repeated over and over and over. There's several in this uh, lengthy passage that if you were to read all of John chapter 6 that would stand out, but in our passage this morning, in just part of um, Jesus' uh, bread of life discourse, the word that really stands out and is repeated in these question and answers seems to be work. Seems to be the, the same word that's translated in, in other verses as labor. And I want us to consider that in light of this passage. In fact, I was just considering uh, the, the idea of Jesus challenging those people who were following Him at that time to work for bread that endures. And just to consider, are we working for bread that endures? It made me consider how, how much of our life is actually given to work. And if we were to just do an easy estimate of 50 years of our life, 40 uh, hours a, a week, 52 weeks a year, let's just say that you've got it rough, no vacation uh, at all. Uh, even just that, that's 100,000 hours of our life given to work to provide means for our, our family, ourselves, uh, to provide food, to provide uh, enough money for housing, to provide the basic needs of life, maybe to provide for um, some generosity. Um, 100,000. Now, if you're going to consider that uh, that, that's probably, let's just say, roughly a third of your adult life, uh, if that. Maybe another third, hopefully, devoted to, to sleep. And the other third used to get out of that sleep that sometimes takes you longer than it should. Uh, some of that time is used to get you to that work uh, or back from that work or to get you to that sleep that you're hoping to enjoy. Uh, the other third, that, that last third, you know, trying to get us into those other thirds, but also uh, a bit of our free time. If we only use the non-sleep third and, and the, the work third, uh, awake and alive, we ought to be using it intentionally. But if we take that third of work away and are just using that for financial means just to get through it so we can get to the other third of our waking hours, then we're really missing out on uh, what we're to be spending our lives on. Um, as we read through this passage, Jesus is, is going to be urging uh, these Jews who are following Him to spend all of their lives working for food that endures, not just doing a job, not just working for earthly food that we could enjoy and be hungry again, but working for food that, that actually does last. And we're going to get to an important question that the, the people are going to be asked, what is the work that we must do? What is the work that we must do to essentially be saved? And, and the work uh, that Jesus mentions here is important for us to pay attention to. But as we jumped into John 6 last week, 
we really read two narrative stories, two signs, two miracles of Jesus that really set the stage for this, what is called the bread of life discourse, or the bread of life teaching of Jesus in John 6. But in reality, it's not really a sermon, uh, a discourse, a monologue, as much as it is a dialogue. It's a bunch of questions from the crowd and answers from Jesus. Questions from the crowd and then an answer from Jesus. A back and forth, if you will. And it's that dialogue that comes on the heels of the two signs that Jesus just did in John chapter 6, 1 through 21. Um, Two pretty well-known signs and miracles. The first one being Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, providing bread in the wilderness on the Passover so that they would be able to worship God appropriately uh, as He had deemed appropriately in the, in the Old Testament. Jesus provided exactly what they needed to be able to worship the Lord that, that very day. Even though they were away from their homes, out in the middle of nowhere, didn't have the, the food that they needed to be able to celebrate the Passover, God's greatest act of deliverance in the Old Testament that they were to remember year after year after year, Jesus provided the bread that they needed to be able to worship. And we said last week that Jesus will provide you. Jesus will provide us as a church. Jesus will provide His universal church with everything that they need to worship Him to be godly and to grow in godliness. But then the next story, which came right after that, that very evening, uh, Jesus had sent His disciples back across the sea on the boat that they had used to travel across the sea the first time. And Jesus went up on to the hillside. He had gone up because in response to the feeding of the 5,000, they believed that He was the prophet that, that God had promised would come. Uh, the better prophet than Moses. The one in whom God's words resign. And, and it was to him that they were to listen to. And unfortunately, rather than worshiping, their first act was to try to take Jesus and to make them their king and to essentially try to overthrow Rome at that time. This is what they wanted to do, and Jesus would have nothing of it. He didn't come to be an earthly king. He came to establish an eternal kingdom. And so he withdrew from them up onto a mountain while his disciples went across the sea. And as they went across the sea, the sea was rough. And Jesus came to them by walking on the water. And in the end, they saw him. They were afraid, and yet he calmed them by saying, It is I. Not only did he calm their hearts, but he calmed the storm as he got into that boat. And the the, the Gospel of John says that they were immediately at land. Jesus had brought them through the sea. Uh, Just like Moses had brought Israel through the sea uh, in the midst uh, after that first Passover. Jesus here is bringing them through the sea after their Passover meal, showing that he is uh, the one true prophet that is to be worshipped. 
And so on the heels of those two signs that really set the stage for this dialogue regarding Jesus being the bread of life, we, we get the introduction into this, this moment. In verse 22, on the next day, after the disciples had gone across the sea that night, after Jesus had walked across the waters, that next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, that would be the east side of the sea, they saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with His disciples, but that His disciples had gone away alone. They knew that the, Jesus had sent His 11 disciples on that one boat across the sea, but He didn't get into it, but they couldn't find Jesus. And yet, in verse 23, John tells us that other boats from Tiberias, that is, from the other side of the sea, had come near that place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into these new boats that had come and went to Capernaum onto the west side of the sea. And they were, listen, seeking Jesus, looking for Jesus. They had eaten this great meal the day before at the Passover, and it was morning. They were hungry again, still, uh, still longing for another meal for them to be satisfied with. And so when we get to verse 25, and if you're taking notes, really the central truth that, that we're going to see in this that I'm going to begin working backwards through is this. God's work in Christ demands the work of faith which works to eternal life. You can see the word work repeated three times there, which will give us somewhat of our outline this morning. But let me say that again. God's work in Christ demands the work of faith which works to eternal life. I think this is my, my attempt to summarize our passage for this morning. And like I said, I'm going to work through it a bit backwards. And so in chapter 6, in considering these first few verses of Jesus' dialogue with these Jews in 25 through 27, I encourage you to note this, the, the work for food that endures. The work for food that endures. In verse 25, when they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Verse 27, Do not labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him God the Father has set His seal. Uh, they found Jesus on the other side uh, of the sea and they likely <coughs> excuse me, found Him in the synagogue that was 
in Capernaum, as we find from later details late, given later on in the Gospel of John. And as they come to Jesus there at that synagogue, they, they call out to him and, and say, Rabbi, teacher, we found you here in the synagogue. We're here to ask you questions. We want to, we want to hear from you. We're, we're seeking you. Um, they had traveled all the way back around the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and they're asking Jesus now, how did you get here? We know you didn't get on the boat. We know you didn't you know, start your journey around the sea last night. We got, woke up this morning and you weren't there. How did you get here? They began asking him something that was important to them. But Jesus, as often as he does, he doesn't answer their their first question that's on their minds, but he knows what's, what's on their hearts. They woke up that morning, no Jesus means no miraculous meal that morning, and so they're searching for him, looking for another meal, and Jesus knows that. So he doesn't answer their question about how did you get here. Jesus is answering their, their question in their heart of, when are you going to give us another meal? Uh, when are you going to feed us again? This is what Jesus says truly, truly as he introduces uh, this double amen there. I say to you, you are seeking me. You are seeking me not because you saw signs. Signs that had significance of showing them who Jesus was. Jesus turning uh, the, the five loaves and two fish into enough bread and fish for a multitude, showing that he was greater than Moses. They're not seeking him for that sign that he was the prophet that God promised to be worshipped. They're not seeking him because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords of an eternal kingdom. They're seeking him so that their bellies could be full again. You're seeking me not because you saw signs that showed you who I am, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then he challenges them in verse 27, do not labor. And there's the first use of this word. We've seen them described up to this point as seeking. But Jesus has said that their action that morning is, is labor and working. And it was. I mean, imagine you walking around the, the, the uppermost part of the Sea of Galilee that morning to be able to find breakfast. Uh, not something most of us do when we, you know, pop a, a Pop-Tart out of its wrapper and put it in the microwave or, or, or grab something, a, a quick cup of coffee uh, in a Keurig or, or swing by a drive through or something like that to be able to get something. They'd worked that morning. And they're working, they're laboring for another meal from the, from the man who fed them the day before. And Jesus, Jesus urges them. And He urges us to pause uh, and, and to consider. Jesus even commands them, says, Do not labor for the food that perishes. But, contrasting that, he says, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Don't labor for food that perishes. Instead, you could say, Jesus is saying, labor for food that endures to eternal life. 
that which the Son of Man will give to you. How will the Son of Man give it to you? For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Jesus is urging them. Um, really, I think alluding to a passage that they would have been familiar with, one that I encouraged you to turn to earlier, and that's in Isaiah chapter 55. And if you haven't turned there, at least write that note down that you could turn there later. But if you have turned there, why don't you flip over there and again, Put your ribbon there. Put a piece of paper there. Keep your finger there because we want to go back and forth. But this, this, this section, I want you to just look at verse 2 and 3 for a second. See if these words in Isaiah, written 700 years before the lifetime of Jesus, see if they sound familiar. In, verse, in chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 2, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. uh, The Lord says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting and eternal covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. I think Jesus is alluding to this verse in Isaiah 55-2 and not just that one verse, but by alluding to that one verse, bringing this entire chapter to their mind. God's words to God's people 700 years ago, Jesus is alluding to so that they might be aware of this greater truth. And so for us, we've got uh, not just the Isaiah 55 passage, but we've got the John 6 passage urging us not to work, not to spend our lives on food that doesn't last, but to, to work, to labor, to spend our lives on food that does last, which would come from the Son of Man Himself. Jesus Christ is identifying Himself as the Son of Man, which is a title that Jesus uh, used of Himself often that came from Daniel chapter 7, one that we looked at several weeks ago. But, but just for your reference, for your own study, Daniel chapter 7 uh, that, that speaks about this, this One who is coming, this Son of Man whom the Ancient of Days God Himself would give authority to in the time to come. And Jesus is saying, I am that Son of Man. I'll give you this bread that will last. I will give you uh, food that will endure to eternal life. You ate yesterday and you're hungry again, but what if you could eat bread that would cause you to never be hungry again? What if you could eat spiritual bread that would be an everlasting source so that you could never be spiritually hungry again. And Jesus urges them, don't spend your lives on things that are just going to be here today and be gone tomorrow. Don't work a third of your adult life just to pay the bills. Don't work and spend a third of the 
the hours of your daily allotment in life just to get through the day, just to be able to pay your mortgage, just to be able to get a few needs met. What if we as Christians had a greater intentionality with, our, uh, with the two-thirds of our, uh, our life, our waking hours, and that work wasn't just something that we went to to get through, to get a check, to be able to pay the bills, but what if work was an opportunity to worship? What if work was an opportunity to evangelize? What if work was an opportunity to disciple? What if work was an opportunity to give testimony to the Lord's goodness? And I'm not just talking about a paid job that you may have, as many of you do, but, uh, but for some of you working in the home, intentionally working with your children at home. It's not just something that you have to get through day in and day out so that you can go to bed that night. But what if it's an opportunity to worship, an opportunity to evangelize, an opportunity to disciple, an opportunity to tell of the Lord's goodness to your children that they might know the same thing. I know that that job, whether it be in the home or your other jobs, have frustrating things going on. Frustrating people, frustrating bosses, frustrating employees, frustrating clients, this, that, or the other. I understand that. My job does too uh, at times. But what if we use those opportunities to press more into the Lord, to see what the Lord would have from us, to be guided by the Lord, that we might wholly follow after the Lord, to depend on the Lord, to realize that His food never runs out. His well never runs dry. The food that He offers to us will last and will endure. And so ask yourself, have you been working a job simply to pay a check without eternity in mind? Have you been working to sustain your family physically while not working to sustain them spiritually? Have you been working to enjoy some earthly satisfaction that doesn't last while neglecting some eternal satisfaction that endures? Have you been working selfishly, spending all that you make on yourself rather than selflessly giving to God who has given you all things? Have you been working to enjoy earthly peace? when the only thing that we are promised is eternal peace. We need to consider what we're spending our lives on. And Jesus has urged us to not just work for food that doesn't last, but to work for food that endures. And we would do well as the Jews that Jesus was speaking to in His day would have done well to listen to it. Sadly, though, as you'll see in the coming weeks, they don't. As the passage that the end of the passage that Natalie read for us alludes to, that they don't. They don't uh, heed Jesus' words here. Christian church, let that not be true of us. Let us heed his words to labor and work for food that endures. But upon Jesus' answer to 
their really first heart question. Jesus has said, don't labor for food that perishes. Instead, labor for food that endures. It's obvious, as we can see from their question, that, that they're wondering, okay, well, what is that? What does it look like then to labor for food that doesn't perish, to labor for food that endures? This is what they begin asking in verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What what must we be spending our time on? How must we labor if we're to be doing the works of God? of God that you say we're to be doing, Jesus. If you're taking notes, the second thing I'd I'd encourage you to note in these two verses is the work God demands is faith. Like I said, the logical place that their mind goes in that moment is, okay, if we're not supposed to be laboring for food that perishes, we're to be laboring for food that endures, then what is that? What are we supposed to be doing, God, or Jesus, to be doing the works of God? That kind of question, at least in my mind, sounds a lot like a question that uh, a man that we know as the rich young ruler asks when he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says to him in that uh, story that, that you know the works of God. And he begins listing several of the Ten Commandments. And the man says, I've done all of those since I was a little boy. And Jesus says, but one thing is lacking. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Leave it all behind, essentially, and just come and follow me. I'm all you need. And it says that the man went away sad because he had an abundance that he was unwilling to leave behind. It sounds like a very similar question that these Jews are, are asking Jesus. And, and again, go back and read all of John 6 this week. And what you'll find is that these Jews do something very similar to the rich young ruler. They go away. They're unwilling to labor for food that endures. They're unwilling to do what Jesus is about to tell them as an answer to their their question. What must we do then to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answers them so simply, so plainly. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. There's a lot of, uh, I'm using a lot of work language, and I'm trying to do so to be fair to the text. But lest you leave this place saying, Pastor told me that I need to work to to earn my salvation. Hear Jesus' words right here. The work that you are to do to, to enjoy eternal life is belief. That is the only work. And in fact, he's going to go on the rest of the chapter of John chapter 6 and say that you even doing that work is the gift of God. In fact, you wouldn't 
believe and you wouldn't work in that way if the Father had not drawn you to Himself in the, in the first place. But I don't want to just immediately jump there. I want you to hear this. What is our part? We'll talk about God's part in the, in the coming uh, weeks, but Jesus is making clear that, that we have a part in this. God is sovereign over salvation, but man is responsible to repent of their sins and to believe in Him and to follow after Him. And these Jews want to know, okay, we're not to be laboring for food that perishes. We're to be laboring for food that endures. What is that work, Jesus? And Jesus says, the work of God is to believe in the One whom He has sent. Essentially, Himself. Jesus is saying, believe in Me, the One in whom God the Father has sent The Apostle John, who's recording Jesus' words to this crowd of Jews in John chapter 6, the Apostle John uh, writes uh, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John uh, later on in his life. And in 1st John chapter 3, verse 23, to the early church, the Apostle John reiterates Jesus' words to the, the early church that he's writing to. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 says this, And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. The commandment, the Apostle John says at the end of his life, that we're to obey, is that you would believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. This is the work that we're to be doing. At least the first step of the work that we're to be doing. Work that endures. Work that lasts. Work that ends up uh, resulting in eternal life. It's belief. And so I want to urge you, if you are here this morning and you honestly consider your own heart You honestly consider what you've done in this life to hopefully one day to be able to enjoy eternal life. Let me just tell you, on authority of God's Word and according to Jesus, there is no work that you could do to be able to earn eternal life. There is no work apart from working with Christ through faith that will endure to eternal life. The only work that Jesus commands you to do is to believe in Him. To trust Him. And I want to urge you this morning, if you've spent your life working, to tip the scales, if you will, so that when you stand before God, there's a little bit more good, just, a, just enough good over the bad to tip the scales. Or even just to make the scales all, all out tip uh, because there's more good in the scales than there is bad. It's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough because the Bible says you've fallen short of the glory of God. One sin 
causes all of us to fall short of the glory of God. We need something else to tip the scales, and that something else is Jesus. For Jesus alone was righteous. Jesus alone was holy. Jesus alone was perfect. And the Bible says that through faith, Jesus gives you all of his righteousness. And he takes all of your sinfulness upon himself on the cross and dies in your place and rises from the dead. Which is why he encourages you to do that one work, that work of faith and to believe in him. So that supernatural transaction can take place and your scales can be tipped forever. That there will always be enough good in the scales because Christ is in the scales with you when you stand before the Lord. Don't spend your life working to earn it, to in the end realize that you've fallen short. And if you have believed, if you have trusted Christ once and for all, if you have performed that one work of trusting in the Lord, that one work that would endure to eternal life, don't then fall back on your works thinking that you would daily earn God's love or daily earn God's blessing or daily earn God's favor or, or daily be able to tip your scales a little bit more than Christ could tip them for you. Don't fall back to works as a way of earning anything fall to works as a way of worshiping which is what these jews should have been doing in response to jesus's miracles and his signs in the first place take that first step of faith that first work and believe in jesus christ and then spend your life working as worship not working to earn working at your earthly job, working in your homes, working in your neighborhood, working in this church, not to earn anything. It's already been given to you by grace through faith. Spend your life working for food that endures to eternal life, working as worship. Isaiah 55 has something to say about this as well. If we skip down a few verses from where we ended in verse 3 down to verse 6, through 9, we could read this, Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We are to believe in the Lord Jesus and take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow Him. We can't trust ourselves and follow our ways because our ways are not His ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His ways endure to eternal life. Our ways always lead to death. And so we have to believe in Him. 
believe in him once and for all for forgiveness and pardon and eternal life and continue to believe in him for, for joy in this life. Why would we do so otherwise? The Apostle Paul gets at this and even writes about those who having maybe at first confessed faith and believed once and for all, then fell away. Fell away to their old ways. Fell away to earthly ways. But urges the the church at Philippi to hold fast to Christ. To hold fast to an eternal kingdom. Listen to Philippians 3, verse 18. Paul's encouragement in, in light of what's been happening in their church. For many, he says in verse 18, of whom... I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This is a description of the Jews of Jesus' day. They just wanted food They would have followed anyone who would have fed them day after day after day after day. Their God was their bellies. Their God was their their minds. Who's going to make me happy? Who's going to please me? Let us not fall back to earthly gods. Let us follow the one true and heavenly God. He goes on in verse 20 to say, but our citizenship, Christian, our citizenship, church, is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Christian, we, by faith, have been brought into a heavenly kingdom. Our citizenship is, with an, is in an eternal kingdom. Why would we fall back to earthly satisfaction, earthly food, earthly gods that leave us wanting more, that leave us hungry? Let us hold fast to Christ. Let us remember that our citizenship is in heaven. Let us remember that Christ is going to return one day to make good on His promises if we have believed in Him and trusted in Him. But this last section brings us to uh, the, the very first part of the kind of summary sentence that I gave to you in the very beginning. And that, the note here is the work God provides in Christ. And this really is the foundation. For there would be no one to believe in if God had not sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. There would be no food that endures if Christ had not come and offered Himself the very bread of life on the cross for us. So in John 6, in verse 30, look here at the work God provides in Christ. So they said to Him, again, we see this dialogue between the crowd and Jesus. They're asking their third question here. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? 
Again, think of the logic. Uh, Jesus, uh, or they ask Jesus, how did, how did you get here? And he answers the question of their hearts, really. Are you going to feed us again? Uh, saying, work for food that endures. So their next question was, okay, well, what is that work? What is that work that we're to do that endures? And he tells them that is to believe. Belief is that work. And so they ask, okay, well, why then should we believe you? What sign are you going to do that shows us that you're worthy of our belief? Which proves just in the fact that they're asking that question means that they really didn't understand what happened the day before when Jesus fed them on that hillside. They really didn't understand who Jesus was. They really didn't understand that He was the Son of God. They just thought that He would be able to provide food for them day after day after day and establish a new earthly kingdom. They say, what sign do you do? What work, what labor do you perform before us? And then they go back, actually. They say, our fathers in the Old Testament, the patriarchs, they ate manna in the wilderness. And they read a scripture. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And that really is probably an allusion to several different places. Most likely probably Nehemiah 9.15 Uh, a couple different psalms, but really alluding to several places in the Old Testament that speak of, of course, in in Exodus, when God gave, uh, or, or that they are alluding to, that Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus answers them um, in verse 32, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. Now this would have been, you know, causing them to stand back for a second and say, now what? Well, who was it? I ju- we just quoted Scripture to you. The Bible says that Moses gave them bread from heaven. What do you mean that Moses didn't give us bread from heaven? But Jesus is essentially trying to get their eyes off a, a human leader, their eyes off of a human prophet, and get their eyes on the Lord Himself. And He goes on to say, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. And notice the, the jump from past to present. Um, He is essentially saying, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father gave you bread from heaven. But he does it by saying, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. My father did, and my father does. He's even now giving you even better bread from heaven. Giving you true bread from heaven. Jesus is ultimately going to say, I am that bread from heaven. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. Contrasting the bread that they got, it was 
bread from heaven. But think about it. The bread, the manna that the people gathered in the wilderness, they were commanded to only get enough for one day. And if they gathered more than they needed for one day, what happened to the food? Spoiled. It perished. And they were forced to go back out and get food again. That bread was just a a sign, just a a glimpse, just a, a bit of the picture of what was to come. It was teaching them to depend on the Lord daily for provision, daily for help, daily for guidance, daily for wisdom in hopes that one day God would send the true bread from heaven, which He had done in their lifetime. Which He goes on to say in verse 33, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And there were, obviously Jesus is speaking of him of Himself. And their response to that in verse 34, they said to Him, Sir, Give us this bread always. They wanted some some piece of that loaf always. Their response is very similar, is it not, to the, the, the Samaritan woman's response when Jesus said, I have living water. Uh, that if you are to drink, you will never be thirsty again. And she said, Sir, give me this water to drink. Now Jesus is saying, I've got bread that if you'll eat, you'll never be hungry again. And they say, sir, give us this bread always. But they have not realized that he is the bread, that he is the water, that they are to eat and to drink and be satisfied eternally from. They haven't realized that. Jesus responds, and I'm just going to give us the the start uh, of his response there. Jesus' first I am statement in verse 35 that we're going to use as the transition between this week and next week where Jesus looks at them. And just imagine that response. Sir, give us this bread. Give us this bread always. And Jesus looks at them and says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Jesus has really said twice in, in two different ways that, that the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then more succinctly, I am the bread of life. When Jesus says that, he, this is the first of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John declarative statements uh, describing who he is and his identity. And when he says that, he is likening himself, identifying himself as God, using this statement, I am. In the Greek, ego eimi. It's essentially like he's saying, I, I am. I alone am the bread of life. And there is no other. This is like what God, Yahweh, said in Exodus 
chapter 3 from the burning bush. I am who I am. Jesus is saying, I am one with God the Father. I am the Son whom God the Father has sent. I left heaven and came to this earth. I am the bread of life that you need to, to eat. Isaiah 55 or let me read first from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. These are words that Jesus quoted in the midst of His temptation when Satan was tempting Him to, take, to turn stones into earthly bread to be satisfied after a 40-day fast. To be satisfied for one day, Satan was tempting Him. But Jesus went back to the Scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And, and he said to him, uh, part of this verse, but here I'm quoting all of Deuteronomy 8, 3. It says that He, God, humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus already in the Gospel of John has been identified as the Word of God. He is the bread that they need. He's not only the Son of God, He's the Word of God. And it is Him to whom they need. And Isaiah 55 does speak to this. Again, Jesus alluding to one simple verse there, but bringing this entire section of Scripture to their mind. We can consider Isaiah 55, verse 10, where the Lord says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth." It shall not return to me empty and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. These verses in Isaiah, these verses in John that Jesus is speaking is identifying Him as the Son of God, as the Word of God, as the bread that they need. For man does not live on earthly bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Of the Lord. And, and then you read as Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Listen to what, what he says in following Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What an invitation! An invitation that many of us as Christians have taken advantage of, for we were that whoever. And we proved it to be true. That it didn't matter how many years in sin we had walked. It didn't matter how many times we had denied Christ as God and Savior. It didn't matter how many times we tried to be satisfied by earthly bread. Whoever turned, repenting of our sins, away from the world, and turns towards Christ and comes to Him, should not hunger. And whoever believes in Him shall never thirst. 
In fact, this is how Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 started. I started with Jesus' allusion to it in verse 2, but Isaiah 55, verse 1 starts just as Jesus said in John 6, 35. Isaiah 55, 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is the invitation. This is the invitation that is available to any of you this very morning for you to come and to eat of Christ, repenting of your sins and trusting in Him. This is the invitation for you to come and hunger and thirst no more. And Christian, if you've come, this is always your daily invitation to wake up and to come before you eat your breakfast, before you labor at popping those Pop-Tarts, or, or before you labor to, to provide a meal for your family that morning. Eat and dine with the Lord so that you're not hungry and thirsty all day. I have to. Uh, I, I know that uh, you have to as well. This is the invitation that we have. Uh, but sadly, it's, it's not what the world wants. Because so often, church, so often, Christian, we go out from this place, we even go out from our homes having eaten and drank of the Lord, and our lives look no different. Our attitudes at work look no different. The words on our mouth look no different. But they ought to. They ought to. John Stott says in his evangelism book something that I think speaks to this. Nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, and ties the tongue like the secret poverty of our own spiritual experience. We do not bear witness for the simple reason that we have no witness to bear. If the bread of life has evidently not satisfied us, why would non-Christians suppose it will satisfy them? Christian, church, we must be satisfied with food that endures or else the world is not going to want what you're eating. We have to uh, spend time with the Lord spending time dining with Him, eating of Him even, so that when we go out, having believed, having continued to believe, working as worship, not working to earn, that people would see our lives being different than the rest of the world, and they would want that. And they would realize that even though our lives, on at least an earthly standard, look like they're leaving us hungry. We're not hungry. And they would want that same food that endures, that same food 
that causes them never to be hungry or never to be thirsty again. Church, let's dine not only weekly with one another here at the Lord's table with the Lord Himself. Let's dine daily with Him. Let's pray together. Father, I I pray that You would help us this morning as we consider whether or not we have dined with You regularly recently to consider whether or not we have eaten of You. To consider whether or not we've been satisfied by You. God, I pray that You would challenge us, urge us to not spend our lives having once believed in You, falling back to work that perishes. God, would You help us to spend our lives having trusted You as Lord and Savior once and for all, spend our lives working as worship so that those around us who are hungry and thirsty would find that they could eat and drink of Christ themselves and never hunger and thirst again, that they too could be forgiven of their sins, that they too could be satisfied even when this earth will never satisfy them. God, as we partake in the Lord's Supper this morning, eating a bit of bread, drinking a bit of juice that's a reminder of your body that was given for us and your blood that was shed for us, let it be for us a reminder of what you have done for us and what you're continuing to do for us. That if we are to eat and drink of you, we will never be hungry and never be thirsty. Let this be an encouragement to us to work for food that endures this week as we're sent out to be the church in the world. Help us, I pray. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.